Nova Nikki Robinson was murdered on January 28, 2013, and this is her mother and sister's stories. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi. Is this Angela? Yes, ma'am. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Asheboro, North Carolina, was named after Samuel Ashe, the ninth governor of North Carolina. It was a small village in the 1800s with a population of less than 200, and through the Civil War, its main function was housing the county courthouse, and the town was most active when court was in session. In the late 1800s, as the railroads came to Ashboro, it began to grow and industry could begin to develop there. The growth began in the textile industry in the 20th century, then adding batteries and wire manufacturing to further help grow this city. The Ashboro Zoo is a big tourist attraction and was built in 1979. Unfortunately, Ashboro has been hit hard by the overseas manufacturing, interfering in their own local growth, and 60 Minutes deemed this town the dying town in 2012. They still have many important employers there, and they still continue to work hard to build themselves back up to the great place it has always been to the citizens of Ashboro. Nova Nikki Robinson was born into a family as the second child, having another sister follow her a few years later. The eldest child, Lucretia, was jealous when Nikki, as her family calls her, was born. As a four-year-old, she still wanted the undivided attention that she was so used to. Nikki, being such a kind girl with an easy smile, won this big sister over though, and they developed into close sisters as they grew. The youngest sister of the bunch was much loved by Nikki from day one. She always had time for Lenora, the baby of the family. Even when her friends came over, she was sure to allow her sister to join in on whatever they were up to. Nikki's friends were always nice to her, knowing that Nikki would have expected no less from them. Nikki was a homebody, and as much as she loved to hang out with friends, doing so at home was her favorite place to do it. She was always family-oriented, from the time she was a little girl. Nikki was a good student and a rule follower, rarely getting anyone miffed with her throughout her life. She was extremely well-liked by her friends, and no one had a bad word to say about the beloved Nikki. She also had two beautiful daughters, whom others see so much of Nikki in. She was a wonderful mother, always on the lookout for fun things to do with the daughters she absolutely adored. 
Nikki fell in love with them the second she saw each of them and knew right from the start that she had always been meant to be a mother with her nurturing and caring side coming out, loving these babies. Nikki also cared for others in her employment, even choosing to go back to school to become a nurse. She had such drive and determination. Nikki was not only a mother to two young girls, she worked, volunteered, and was a student in a very challenging program. Nothing would stop this young woman from achieving all of the goals she set for herself. Nobody, that is, other than the person she had entrusted to be part of her life. The person she called boyfriend. The person she lived with and welcomed into her children's lives. The person that should have stopped at nothing to ensure her safety and security. The person she loved. This is the story of Nova Nikki Robinson's murder. What was Nikki like as a child? Well, uh, she enjoyed a lot skating. Uh, later on in her life, she she done a lot with her girls, like uh, zipline and whitewater rafting. She was she was very ambitious. She was hard headed. She had goals, and she set out to meet those goals. As a girl, that they were kind of my girls were kind of tossed from pillar to post. Um, you know, the, the father and I split up, and uh, she spent time with him, spent time with me. But we always had a good time. We uh, we laughed. We. Uh, we just had a lot of good times together. But Nikki was a, I guess you call her an old soul. She liked to have a good time. She uh, she didn't party party, but she uh, she she'd have a good time. She was going to school to be a nurse. She was going to be a registered nurse. That's quite an admirable profession. You have to be a very compassionate and kind, loving person to do that. Yeah, yeah. She was a CMA. She had got her um, education from ECPI. It's like a fast-track college. And uh, she was a CMA, and then she wanted to go into registered nursing. Um, I think she was two years into that before she was murdered. She was inducted into the Phi Theta Kappa by absentia because her grade point average was a 4.0. Yeah, and she volunteered for the Randolph Hospital um, here in our county. She volunteered there. She worked for a restaurant part-time. She's going to school, looking after her girls. Yeah, she was pretty, she was pretty busy, pretty, uh, she packed in a lot of, a lot of years in those 31 years she was here. Her mother and Nikki developed an even closer bond than they already had after Nikki had children of her own, spending time together these three generations of women. Nikki's daughters were a year apart and grew up being siblings and friends. Nikki not only cared for her children with such love and devotion, she showed them what a hard-working woman looked like, juggling all that and keeping her impressive 4.0 GPA is a remarkable accomplishment. 
and you don't really know what you got till it's gone. I mean, I knew she was poised for great things. She was coming into her own. She was 31 years old <coughs> when she was murdered. Uh, she had turned 31 in January of 19, uh, January of 2013, and then eight days later she was murdered. How did you find out your daughter had been murdered? Um, me and my sister, we come outside to smoke, and it was a Monday evening on January 28th. A detective, we didn't know at the time it was a detective, but he kind of went up the end of our road and turned around and then just kind of crept down the road and pulled into our driveway. And my sister went out to meet him. It was Detective Hastings. I don't, I don't remember his first name. There's two of them. There's two brothers. And uh, he, he asked uh, to talk to Sylvia Blake. And my sister said, that's my mother. She's in the house. And he said, Angela Jackson. Well, that's when I started walking out to the car. And um, I said, that's me. <laughs> and they looked at my sister and said, you must be Robin. She said, yeah. And uh, he asked me, he said, do you know Nova Nicole from uh, 302 Cherokee Street? I said, yeah, that's my daughter. Well, Nova is deceased. Those three words I'll never, ever forget. Uh, Nova is deceased. Um, that was hard. And after that, I was kind of like in shock and um, cried the whole week leading up to her funeral. I mean, I just, the whole week, I just cried. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of things I've seen pertaining to her murder. I packed the computer room up. Uh, hazmat had not got out there to clean the blood up yet. And so I packed that room up and cried, packed and cried, walked outside smoked, cried. Um, went back in the house, packed the room up. It was, it was awful. It's awful. After you heard that terrible news, what, what happened next? Um, I knew I had to call the girl's father because he would have been taking the children over to their moms the next morning to go to school. I remember we had to call him. I dialed the number and my mom talked to him because I was just a basket case. And I was like that up till well after the funeral. And for a long time, I would cry a lot. And I think I've cried out. Of course, it's been almost eight years. When they arrested the guy, that kind of brought January 28th right back up. And I was glad he was in jail. And then he made a bond, and I just, the bond was set pretty high. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around how did they come up with that kind of money because they're not rich. The family's not rich. This mother had to wait six and a half years to hear that they finally arrested someone for her daughter's murder. The man they arrested was Nikki's boyfriend. Did, did you have a relationship with this uh, terrible person? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We took him in, treated him like family. I mean, he, him and her were together for eight years. Oh. We treated him like family and then betrayed us like this. So I have trust issues. 
There were absolutely no signs of abuse that Nikki's mother Angela was aware of when her beautiful daughter was killed. This is not something that had ever entered her mind, as there were no signs of abuse. She had never thought for a moment that her daughter was in a dangerous living situation. The shock she felt quickly turned to determination. We were, you know, informed she was coming back to the morgue. And of course, I wanted to go see her. And they didn't want me to go back there in the morgue, but I was determined, me and her father both. And when I seen her, she had bruises on the side of her face. She was covered up with a sheet up to her neck because he butchered her neck. Anyway, uh, I thought she'd been beat. And it took maybe a week or two before I realized that she was stabbed to death. When she heard that Nikki had been killed, and after some time passed, allowing the wallowing despair and horrible sadness to nestle deep within her heart, she began thinking. Nikki's boyfriend had been stealing from her. And as it is usually the significant other that kills a partner, she assumed it must be him that killed her daughter as shocking and far-fetched as that seemed. As Angela knew about the money being stolen, she had deduced that he wasn't exactly the most upstanding citizen. But her brain never before that day would have connected those dots to him killing her daughter. Never in a million years. She was utterly aghast at that possibility. So why did it take six and a half years then for an arrest to be made? I think they were waiting on the evidence, waiting on more evidence. I don't know what they have, because they can't, of course, tell me everything. And and it is an ongoing investigation still. And I just, I just trust the detective and the prosecutor. So you're happy with your detective and prosecutor? You feel like they're doing a good job? Yes. So now he was arrested, and tell me about that day when you found out about that. How did you hear about that? And, and tell us a little bit about the the investigation that had happened and the court case. Okay, so on April 15th, I had called the detective, Lori Johnson. Of which year? Uh, 2019. 2019, okay. Yeah. I had talked to her earlier that day, and uh, she said that, uh, I said, you know, I had a birthday. My mom's birthday's coming up. We not, we'd like some good news. And she said, soon. So about, I'd say eight thirty nine o'clock at night, I was in my computer room. And I had got up to go to the bathroom and the phone rung. And usually that time of night, I don't really check the phone. So I heard Lori on the answer machine, and I picked up the phone. And, and she said, can you come down to the police department? And I said, yeah, and uh, I, I knew something was up because she hadn't ever called me that, that time of night. So me and my mom had to get my mom to take me down there because I'd already taken my sleeping meds. So Mama takes me to the police department, and they were waiting on the girls. Their father was bringing them. And when the girls got there, that's when Lori told us that they arrested him that day. And uh, I thought it would cry. But I didn't. Um, I was kind of shell shocked again. It just it brought it brought the twenty eighth 
of 2013 back back to me that day. Angela now had to live by just going through the motions. One thing she never lapsed on was checking the prison roster to make sure the person she treated like family, but went ahead and killed her daughter, was still in jail. She is so utterly disgusted by him that she can no longer say his name. We call him Mofo. <laughs> One day, when she checked the roster, she saw something different written beside his name. There was no longer any bond set when there had always been before. She immediately contacted the sheriff's department to find out what this meant. To her horror, she found out that this meant he had made bond, that he was simply waiting for a monitor to become available so he could live under electronic house arrest until his trial. After already waiting six and a half years for justice, the man who killed her daughter was going home. This information was only something she learned in October of this year. And when is the the court case supposed to happen? The court, well, it would, would have been October 5th, but because of this coronavirus, they moved it out to February 8th. Angela is convinced that his mother used the particulars of criminals and confinement with coronavirus in the prison system to encourage his lawyers to use that as a defense to have his bond reduced and be able to get out of jail and await his trial in the comforts of home, worrying that somehow he will get out of his monitoring bracelet and be free to roam the neighborhood or become violent with someone in the household that he will be living in. Angela has these fears. He has, after all, already killed once. Well, no bond at all. I mean, you committed the ultimate crime, you know. What's, what's to say that you're going to abide by the rules of an electronic house arrest? Like I say, I plan on uh, setting out to change that if I can. And how would you go about doing that? Contact our politicians. That'll be my first step, contacting politicians. Our local uh like our local, you know, representatives, and then go from there. The families didn't know each other before Nikki and her killer met at work. During the course of their eight-year relationship and living in the same small town, they of course learned who they each are and have met. Angela knows that his mother works at a store down the street from her. And whenever Angela goes into that store, his mother hides from her. She has never reached out to Angela or her family, mother to mother even, not even with condolences. The police have worked very hard in Angela's eyes. At first they did their due diligence, eliminating suspects through a rigorous process and questioning many people to understand the reality of the situation. They also checked alibis and the evidence kept coming back to him until finally they had enough evidence to press charges. Even though it took six and a half years, Angela is satisfied that he was arrested, albeit dumbfounded he has been released. But she will keep on that to hopefully change that law so that other families don't have to live through such heinous treatment by the justice system. 
Angela is very thankful that the night her precious daughter was murdered, Nikki's children were with their father and out of harm's way. She shudders to think how that night could have ended if they had been home. The girls were both under the age of 12 when their mother was murdered, both at such vulnerable ages. They were always very happy-go-lucky little girls, but their lives changed drastically that terrible day back in 2013. They have trouble letting people in. Like their grandmother, they have difficulty trusting people now. This past year, the eldest of Nikki's bright and beautiful daughters graduated from high school. For Angela, the moment was marked with so many emotions. The day was bittersweet. Nikki would have been so proud. What she wanted most for her daughters, other than their happiness, was for them to be educated women. Luckily, they have their grandmother who will always be rooting for them and trying her best to keep encouraging toward the things that Nikki herself would have. Oh yeah, I love them girls. I love them. And what would you say um, is the biggest impact the murder of Nikki had on you? I'm sad a lot. Um, I don't sleep good. I'm taking three types of sleeping meds uh, because of the night terrors. But I wanted to see everything she... I want to know everything, see everything, because I feel like I owe that to her. I know that don't make sense to a lot of people, but I just feel like I owe it to her. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to anyone else. You have to do what feels good for you. You have to be true to yourself. That's the only thing that matters, you know? I mean, that's the bottom line. So when you're saying you need to see everything, you're talking about sort of the autopsy pictures and uh, all that, like the information. The the, the autopsy pictures don't really show you what the actual crime scene pictures show you. Okay. Um, It's a different perspective. Because on the autopsy report, all you got is like an outline of a human body. And to see the crime pictures with her in them is a whole lot different than seeing the crime scene photos with her not in them opposed to the ones with her in them. I've seen seen both. I thought I would cry when I seen them too, but I didn't. I just got angry. Her anger has helped to propel Angela forward through this nightmare she has found herself living. She has had to be there every step of the way through this tragedy seeing every picture, hearing every detail, and she will be sure to stay on top of things throughout the entire trial. She feels she has to do it. For her daughter. For Nikki. What have you done to sort of help yourself through, you know, the early days and up until now? Is there anything specific you've done to help yourself? Just as far before he was arrested, just Keep on them, stay on the cops, talk to the DA here and there. But really, my phone call to the police department and not letting her be put on the back burner or forgotten. I do that. I done that. I get on Facebook a lot, and I found these groups where we make timeline sets for people 
mostly women who are like shut-ins, have uh, debilitating sicknesses, illnesses, lupus, you know, the whole gamut. And what we do is we, we purchase tubes and kits, and we put them together, and we make our timeline sets. When you're on Facebook, you know, you have your cover photo, and then you have your profile picture that goes with you wherever you go. Like if you like a page or, you know, something like that, that profile picture goes with you. And so we just put these things together and um, offer them to these women. And then we fill the offers by putting their names on the profile picture. And it just brings us a little, I don't know, a little... A little something, something, you know, to uh, pass our days, you know, not think about all our problems, just kind of get lost in the art. I do pretty good. I make some pretty sets, I have to say. Is there anything that you would like to share that you do in memory of Nikki? Well, um, I was having, like, uh, vigils, but I quit doing that, and we have the Adopt the Highway signs up, we were cleaning the road, you know, but all of us are getting older. It's, it's been, it was real, real hot, some during the summer. The COVID, you know, can't really gather together too much, but I'll put bows on her signs. I decorate her grave. Um, she loved peacocks, so I make sure I decorate her grave with peacock, little lights that shine up. I've got her peacock wind chimes in the tree that's, over where she's buried at. Um, I just ordered another one. It's a solar-powered an- angel. I'm going to hang it up probably tomorrow. I'll probably go decorate a grave tomorrow. Waiting on mowing season to be over. One of her best friends, in fact, he was in love with her. He uh, ordered her an angel. Beautiful angel. I'm going to set it out. We're going to fix it where it can't be stolen, or if it is going to be stolen, you got to work hard for it. Um... Oh, have you ever had anything stolen? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Somebody uh, had put a teddy bear out. It got gone. Uh, and I had put out a, uh, it's a peacock lantern. And, you know, solar powered, so it would light up at night. And beautiful. Beautiful. And it got gone. Shame on yeah. those people. Angela moves through the hard times, missing Nikki in her own way. She hasn't had counseling, but has found a type of art therapy in her own way. It helps her, and in turn others, by sharing her beautiful creations with them. And of course her fight. This woman has it, that's for sure. It started growing inside of her the day her daughter died, and will not stop until she changes the law. She thinks it is unacceptable that a murderer has the ability to be paroled. I commend Angela for turning her pain and anger into something productive. Fighting for justice for Nikki. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Take care. All right. right. Bye. Bye. I had an audio Zoom call with both of Nikki's sisters. You will hear from the eldest sister in this trio of Angela's daughters, Lucretia, and the youngest, Lenora. First will be Lenora. Hi, it's Kelly from Morning the Murdered Podcast. Hello. 
Hi, Lenora. What was your relationship like with Nikki? Um, it was good. She was uh she was like the motherly type towards me. And do you have fond memories of something you used to do together as children? Yes. Um we would she would walk with me to the park and everything else. We play together and So you had lots of great times. Yes. And was there anything particular that you remember that Nikki really enjoyed doing? She loved her family. I remember the last time I was with her, we were decorating the Christmas tree and she played with her niece and she was just all about her family. Lenora felt very lucky to have a big sister like Nikki. Even when she had her friends over, they would all be kind and include her. She never once felt that Nikki was annoyed with her or didn't want her hanging around. This helped what developed into an extremely close bond between them. Tell me about the terrible day you found out that your sister had been murdered. I had gotten the baby to bed and... It was just me and my husband. We were awake and we were watching TV. And then uh, I remember Lucretia calling me. And at first I could not understand a word she was saying because she was in tears. And pretty much when I got asked her again, and I, I said, what? And she said, she said, when she said, Nikki's dead, I pretty much bursted in tears I gave the phone to my husband and I remember I remember he tried to hug me but I kind of pushed his hand away and I ran and I remember I was just pretty much screaming I was trying to figure out how what happened to her how did it happen and I remember getting on Facebook and seeing uh, pray for my family Nikki was murdered. I remember I called Lucretia back and I asked her, I was like, is that how she died? Is that what happened? And she said yes. And after that, we had to wait a couple of days before I could go down to family. And from that moment on, I remember I really couldn't, I couldn't concentrate on things I couldn't take care of my little girl and it was really hard I remember a song playing and I remember falling to my knees and just pretty much saying my sister's name oh my goodness and what did you do to help yourself be able to cope again after and take care of your little girl I pretty much did what my sister would want me to do and then um after that, I had a uh, years later, I had found out that I was pregnant again, and I pretty much looked at it as a gift from her. Um, I had that to look forward to. Right. So you didn't seek out any counseling or anything like that. You just drew strength from knowing what Nikki would want you to do and that she'd want you to be happy and take care of your children. Yes. How did your sister's murder affect your relationship with family members? I have a hard time 
trying to get my mom to talk to me for a long period of time, but I know she's planning on coming up and seeing us and spending some time with us. And why do you think that is, that your mother is having trouble speaking to you? I think it's because she's still hurt and heartbroken. And I mean, I I can't imagine because I know that was her daughter. It's just hard on her. And how did you feel right after knowing that they hadn't arrested her boyfriend? What did you think about that? I was uh, very angry. I was angry. Did you think he was guilty right away? Not at first, but then so many days went on, and then I I was just thinking and trying to piece the stories in that I was getting from the article, and it just didn't sound right to me. At first... Lenora thought he was a nice guy. She found it hard to get to know him well, as even when she went to visit and stay with them, he just didn't really talk that much. Back then, she didn't like or not like him, but she found that her sister and him got along well enough, so that was good for her. She never saw any abuse nor fighting. They seemed happy. After he killed her sister, she didn't automatically think he killed her. She had no reason to. At her sister's funeral, she began to watch him to see how he was reacting and behaving. She studied his body language and how he cried. And the way he acted began to raise suspicions. And then people started talking. And then her mind began to think that he may actually have killed her sister. She was hearing things that he was saying and the way he was acting began to shockingly convince her of his guilt. She was devastated that this man her sister trusted, that she trusted, could be a killer. How did you feel when he was arrested? I was happy. Now that he is out on house arrest, Lenora is angry. She can't wrap her head around how his rights could possibly include not being imprisoned after being charged with murder. Grieving isn't enough. Now adding to that this burden to her shoulders can be very daunting indeed. She must live through and she does. She cares for her family as she knows that Nikki wanted, as difficult as the days can be. Is there any tradition you have or is there something special you do to remember her? Every year on her birthday and her angelversary, me and the kids will get balloons and release them. I do tell my little girl about her aunt and how her aunt was with her. And she'll get on YouTube and watch videos of her. And then every night before bed, she'll look up in the sky and say goodnight Aunt Nikki I try to talk to my son about her when he asked about her but he's still too young and And is there anything that you know you think should be changed sort of in the laws to prevent people from being on house arrest while they're being tried for murder 
Um, yes, I think that they should change it to where there's no bond at all, that they should stay in there until court and pretty much to stay in there forever. Lenora lives far from Nikki's children, and although she thinks of them all the time, she hasn't seen them in years. She plans to go to the trial and is hopeful they will be there. During such a dreadful time, listening to the evidence and struggling to get through each moment, being there, hearing the horror of the day, her sister Nikki's last day alive, some solace may find its way into her heart, being with Nikki's daughters. Is there anything else you wanted to add about your sister? That she had the biggest heart and she would light up a room every time she walked in it and she had a big beautiful smile and a beautiful laugh. Just that I miss her and I wish I could get her back. What would you like to see as, you know, at the court trial for justice? What would you like to see happen? I would like to see him get life in prison. Okay. And I want to know why. And I want to know why he just couldn't just walk away. Hi, it's Kelly from Morning the Murdered. How are you? I'm fine. How did you feel when your baby sister was brought home? And how old were you? I was four. And probably at that time... I would have probably been jealous. I was the only baby in the house at the time, so I'm going to say I was probably jealous. Right. A typical reaction, right? Yes. And as you both grew, how was your relationship with Nikki? We were close. We, we, were, we had a pretty close relationship. I remember the first time she wanted her hair cut. I was probably 11. She was probably... She's four years younger than me. Um, well, I cut off all her curls, and it wasn't even by any means. And what did your mother say? Oh, they were not happy. All her baby curls, all the curls were gone out of her hair, and they never came back. Oh, no. And how did she like her haircut? She liked it, uneven and all. And did she have a lot of friends? Yes, everybody loved her. What was your relationship like with Nikki's boyfriend at the time? In the beginning, it was okay. We got along. Towards the end of it, I just didn't particularly like him. Um, he would lie to my sister, keep things from her. Tell me about the terrible day you found out Nikki had been murdered. I got up, got my child ready. For the babysitter, I went to work. I worked my shift. I was a shift leader. So I worked my shift and came home and started on my schoolwork. It was a normal, it was any other day for me in the beginning. I was at home. I had just got off work. I worked at Hardy's. I just laid the baby down. I was doing schoolwork on my laptop when my mom called me. And asked me if I'd talk to her that day. I said, well, no, I was, I had, I was going to call her earlier, but I was at work and I haven't had time to call her since. 
I got off work, she says, well, you'll never hear from her again. Mom, what are you talking about? Next thing I know, my husband's picking my laptop off, off, up off the floor, grabbing my phone to see what's going on because I just completely lost it. I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to go to work. It was really hard. I mean, it was all I could do just to take care of our baby at the time. Must have been, yeah, very difficult. And what did you do to sort of be able to find the strength to take care of your baby? I knew she needed me more than I needed to cry at that moment. And had your baby and your sister met? Yes, they actually had. As a matter of fact, we were talking about planning my daughter's birthday party and her coming and being a part of it and hanging out and everything. My daughter would have been a year old on February 8th or will would have been a year old on February 8th when Nikki was killed a couple weeks because we buried her on the 2nd of February. The months of January, the month of January is the hardest. Now my oldest son, he was born January 15th. I during the month of January, I try not to look at certain things, watch certain things, and I just try I try to remember her birthday. I usually post a photo on my profile pic on Facebook for a while, for the whole entire month to honor her. But January is a hard month. I can get through February. Um, my husband's birthday is in February. My daughter's birthday is in February. My stepdaughter's birthday is at the end of February. And my wedding anniversary is in February. So I got good things in February that happened to kind of like counteract the bad in January. Lucretia struggles with the loss of her younger sister. Some days she just takes a day off from the world. She checks out for the day and she says that everyone knows to leave her be. Let her pour out her grief. Let her remember the sister she loved so much. And they do. Her family understands that this is part of her grieving process. And what do you do to help yourself on the days when you're feeling terribly down and you, and you just sort of, you know, remove yourself from everybody? Is that enough or is there something else you do to help you through those days? I listen to music. It doesn't matter the song. It could be a heavy metal song. It could be a blues song. It could be a classical song. It could be jazz. It, that part don't matter at all. It could be any type of music. Lucretia's mother and her have become closer since this tragedy struck their family. As murder does, it causes such a ripple that trickles outward to so many people. Lucretia's mother and her daughter have become particularly close, and she is happy to watch their relationship developing and becoming stronger each year, even through the tragedy that their family has to live with. When you found out your sister had been murdered, did you immediately jump to it being her boyfriend, or at first you did not think that? I think deep down I knew all along. I just didn't want to believe it. After the funeral, and Lucretia was back to her daily life trying to cope with the reality of what had happened, she noticed strange behavior from Nikki's boyfriend. 
he started to push her family away. A family that had embraced him for eight years. He just stopped interacting with them. She found this very odd. As though something more was going on. As though he had something to hide. As though he was guilty. As much as she didn't want to admit it to herself, admit it she did. This member of the family that she cherished, that Nikki had cherished, actually was the person responsible for robbing her of her sister's love, her triumphs. A sister's bond, laughter and joy, the bad times as well, just being there for each other every day, being a role model, setting an example. Lucretia was going to miss her sister so much and now she had to come to terms with the fact that Nikki's boyfriend was responsible for the sorrow her entire family was now sentenced to endure. They had the funeral for Nikki and so many people attended. Her loved ones and friends and even friends from long ago came because Nikki was someone special. Someone who made an impact on people. She touched their lives for the better, adding a sparkle of light into their day. How do you feel the police investigation went? How, are you satisfied with it? No. No. Unfortunately, I am not. Um, there were a lot of mistakes made in the beginning of the investigation. And I understand we are a small town. I do understand that, and I do know mistakes are going to be made, but some mistakes could have been avoided. When you learned he had been arrested, what did you feel? Relief. Relief that she was finally going to start seeing the justice that she deserves. Relief. That's, yeah. Don't feel that no more. You don't? No, unfortunately, he was released on house arrest. Your sister was just telling me that, and I don't, I mean, talk about mind-boggling. I, I can't. Yes. Uh, it is. It's like, I just can't compute in my brain that they arrest someone for murder, and he can be on house arrest. How does that even make sense? Especially as heinous as the crime was. I mean. Absolutely. I'm like, yeah, I don't understand it. Um, my husband doesn't understand it. A lot of our friends don't understand it. What are you hoping happens with the trial and his sentence? I just want him to pay for what he did. I want the truth to come out. I want him to explain why he did what he did, which probably won't happen. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath on that one, but... I mean, I just want an explanation of why he thought it was all right to take somebody who was bettering herself, studying to be an RN, beautiful daughters that she loved and that she was trying to raise. I mean, yes, she was co-parenting with her ex, but they were making that work. Her girls were happy. Everybody was happy. She was a part. Everybody was a part of everybody's life. Her daughters had to grow up without her my daughter she knows who she is she's seen pictures of her she knows her story she just didn't get to grow up with her 
and my daughter's missing out. Her daughters are missing out. So, Lenora, thank you so much for being here today. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you. You're most welcome, and you take care now. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. And Lucretia, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I hope that, um, you know, you relax today for the rest of the day because it is a stressful thing to talk about and just take care of yourself, okay? Okay, thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, They lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.